0: Welcome to another episode of Two Peas on a Podcast. Counting down movies, music, TV, and pop culture, one top five at a time. And now, here are the Two Peas.
1: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of Two Peas on a Podcast. I'm so thrilled that you joined us again this week for the pod. Gerald here with you, of course, and I had to bring on my guest P. The second P on the pod this week is a first-time guest. It's always very exciting for me, and 2023 is shaping up to be the year of first-time guests. And that's actually why we kind of connected, because you saw I was looking for first-time guests. You've never been on before. We've been following each other on social media for a little while now. So I said, yeah, man, come on over. Let's do it. Brian is here from Film Fragments. Brian, what's up, man? Welcome to the show, finally.
0: Hi, I'm very excited to finally be here
1: with you tonight. It means a lot, man, and I am excited as well. Now, I got this to-do list, Brian, of all these different topics that I'm going to cover on the show at one point or another. And I I threw that over to you. You kind of looked through it, and you ended up throwing one back at me. Mm -hmm. And as I was making my list for this episode, I got to be honest, some of the movies that I'm going to talk about tonight, I can't believe I haven't done this list yet <laughs> because there's, so, I mean, there are some gems in this category. Uh huh. But just tell all of my listeners, real quick, what is the top five tonight, Brian?
0: So, the top five that we're going to be doing tonight is our top five coming of age movies. Yeah, coming of age films.
1: And like I said, we'll get into it here shortly. Uh, but I'm just really surprised I haven't done this in 200 plus episodes, but. Thanks to you, it's finally happening. So thank you so much for the pitch, man. And it's, uh, it was a it was a fun list to come up with.
0: Yeah, when I was looking over the list that you had sent me, I was like, how the hell has he never talked about coming-of-age movies? Like, that's insane. Like, not even in your upcoming episodes line that you had this list. I was like, what is this guy's problem? Yeah, what am I doing, <laughs> man, with my life over here?
1: Well, <laughs> uh, thanks to you, here it is. So we'll be talking about it. Now, look, man, you do film fragments and I follow you on Twitter over there. You you have a great show. We have a lot of mutual friends that have been on your show and they've been on my show and, and so on. But you've never been on The Peas before. So why don't you just tell everybody a little bit about your show and where they can find it, man? What do you do over there at Film Fragments?
0: Yeah, so Film Fragments is a really fun top five show similar to yours. I bring on a person to talk about their favorite films from an actor, director and genre of their choice like you said i have i've had so many people on from this show on my show it's been such a great time doing this for almost a year now this show's been going on nice. for almost a year we're coming up on the one year anniversary and we've tackled so many great topics we try to also tackle things in relation to films that are coming out uh, i have a keanu reeves episode coming out since john the four is right around the corner mm-hmm. I'm doing a Jack Black episode soon, since the Super Mario Bros. movie's coming out very soon. Nice Ho- horror comedies with Renfield coming out, uh, Joaquin Phoenix films with. But I, I'm basically giving my whole lineup, and I shouldn't be doing that That's right okay, now. But, sure, <laughs> I don't want to spoil anything for the <laughs> listeners. But no, basically, we just talk about our favorite films from a certain topic, and we just gush about why we love it so much. That's great, man. And it's funny, I actually
1: have a Keanu Reeves episode as well coming out next week. Sweet, sweet. Excited. I haven't seen John Wick 4 yet, but by the time this episode drops, I probably will have seen it. So I'm looking forward to that one.
0: I'm so excited to see it. I cannot wait. I'm really excited. No doubt, man. Well, you
1: are obviously a fellow movie lover like myself. So Mm -hmm. I love having people that are passionate about film on the show. And we wanted to talk about coming of age movies tonight. Now... Don't give away any topics – up, or or, I'm sorry, don't give away any of your picks up Mm -hmm. top here. But when you were coming up with the list and you're looking at coming-of-age films, how hard was this list to make for you or was it pretty
0: easy? Well, it was really tough because this is my personal favorite genre of all time. If you were to ask me my top 50 films of all time – Mm -hmm. I would say half of them are coming-of-age films. This is literally the genre that I gush about more than any other genre, which is so weird because I love practically all genres, and most people think that I'm a big fantasy guy or even a comic book guy, but really my favorite films of all time are coming-of-age films. So this was a really tough list to put together, and my list changes for this genre all the time. I mean, it's ridiculous how – constantly i swap films in and out of the list but you know i'm pretty confident with this list i mean come tomorrow it could change it could literally change tomorrow but yeah, right now when we're recording this i'm very satisfied with my list
1: yeah i agree man i i kind of mirror what you said a little bit there you know i was kind of joking with you about it a few minutes ago but i just can't believe i haven't done this topic before because my son one of my kids is nine years old and some of these movies i've shared with him already and we're we're making the list and i'm i'm going through it on letterbox and stuff and he's like what about this and what about this one and i'm like oh my god you're right like those absolutely <laughs> fit the brief so for me i didn't look up like a definition of coming of age or anything like that but for mm-hmm. me and i'll just ask your opinion it had to be kind of like high school age or younger so to kind of fit in my personal criteria of coming of age so You know, in America, at least, we're adults when we're 18. So anything kind of past that, it's just hard for me to... Like, I saw a couple movies come up on Google, is my point. I don't want to mention them in case they come up on your list. But Mm -hmm. they just wouldn't fit the criteria for me, because I feel like you're already kind of into adulthood. So did you put any parameters on yourself when you were doing that?
0: Uh, Not really. I mean, definitely for me, a lot of the coming-of-age films that I love and adore are... You know, high school and below. Right. Uh, my number one, without spoiling it, is a very unconventional pick for a coming of age film because on paper, a lot of people wouldn't consider this a coming of age film. But then, when <laughs> you realize how old the main character is and what they're doing, and then you realize, oh wait a minute, this is kind of a coming of age film. Obviously, I'm not going to give it away, but it's a very interesting genre to go through because there are coming of age films that tackle characters in their early adulthood. Sure. As they're growing and you know coming of age, essentially, like coming of age could mean so many different things. Like you could, exactly. I, you could come out of age when you're an adult. Like it's exactly. not just about when you're a child turning into a young adult. Like you could still come out of age when you're an adult. So yeah, I definitely went off that. Of all, all my top five films are starring high schoolers as the characters. So yeah. Yeah, for, for
1: me, uh, I'm with you, man. For me, it's high school and younger. I'm looking at it, and uh, again, I don't want to give any my away quite yet either, but there are a couple as I'm looking at my overall 10, including my honorable mentions, where uh, you know there's different things like shown through flashbacks or whatever. So in a sense, like the adult ca- version of the character is coming of age by telling us the story, if it makes, if that makes sense, kind of what I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. It might make a little more sense if i tell you what movie it is, but we'll get right. there eventually. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Brian's here, first-time guest from Film Fragments, a great dude. I love following you on social media, man. I'm glad you finally made it over to the show here. I'm going to let you get us started, buddy. What is your number five
0: coming-of-age film? Okay, so my number five, I'll have to preface this by saying that my... Bottom four are very cliched coming-of-age film picks. Yeah, sure. So I have to say that a lot of these films have really stuck with me. They've resonated with me in so many different ways. So my number five, I'm going to go with Boyhood from 2014. Nice. Richard Linklater is one of my favorite filmmakers working. He's always been someone that I've idolized and looked up to pretty much my entire life. And I remember hearing about Boyhood out of Sundance I cannot believe it's been almost 10 years since this movie came out. It's absolutely nuts. And, you know, just hearing the idea of a film shot over the course of 12 years, this coming of age epic following this boy and his family. And it's really impressive what Richard Linklater was able to do outside of the story by filming it over this lengthy period of time. And a lot of people think that the reason why so many people love this film so much is because of that. But to me personally, sure, there may not be anything new when it comes to the story beats themselves. Sure. But it's such an engrossing film because it's so beautifully written. And the directing is fantastic. And I think the performances from everybody are really great. Now, I will admit that Eller Coltrane, who plays our lead character, Mason, his acting is definitely not the best. As he gets older, <laughs> his acting gets worse. I will I will admit that. Yeah. But but you have Patricia Arquette and Ethan Hawke as the parents. And they're both killing it. They're both incredible. Patricia Arquette – won the Academy Award for this performance. Seriously one of the best best mm. supporting actress winners I think maybe ever and I know there's obviously nice. so many to choose from. I just think that she is like you don't really follow just the boy in right. the boyhood. You follow his whole family. Like obviously he's front and center, but you also care about his his parents his sister, and then his eventual step-parents and all the friends that he meets along the way, the girls he dates, all this. And it's just one of those coming-of-age films to where I was able to see elements of myself in it. And I feel like this is a movie where anyone could be like, okay, I could relate to that when I was like six years old or when I was 10 or when I was 18. The sequence at the end where he leaves for college, I can tell you right now that I, when I left for college – that was pretty similar to that experience i mean my mom didn't say it's my fucking funeral but you know (laughs) it was it was an emotional farewell for sure Sure, And you know you realize at the end you're like wow time is literally something that just goes like that it just goes so quickly Mm -hmm. the series of milestones like patricia arquette's character was saying and it's a really beautiful film and I'm a big fan of Birdman. I love Birdman. I'm happy it walked away with the Best Picture and Best Director Oscar. But what Richard Linklater did, it's really kind of sad that he didn't get awarded anything from the Oscars. Like, you could give Birdman Best Picture. I would have given Linklater Director, and I say that as someone who actually likes Birdman a smidge more than Boyhood. But 2014 was a really great year for films. So, yeah, yeah. Boyhood is just one of the best coming-of-age films ever made and it's one of my all-time favorite films and it's my number five well you know you
1: kind of mentioned a couple points i just wanted to make about it it's not on my list but i do really really like this movie but i admire this movie and the the swings that link later took and the project as a whole i mean it was just so innovative i mean we're talking literal coming of age because we're literally it over the course of the, the boy coming to age. So, we're
0: literally watching this boy grow up in front of our eyes. Right, like right. at the start of the movie, we see him as a six-year-old. Then at the end, we see him as a young man. Right.
1: So it's really innovative and courageous in that way. You know, and all the missed awards or whatever aside, I mean, that's always going to – I feel like probably going to stand alone because I don't think – Filmmakers are really going to go this route where it takes 12 plus years to make a film. You know what I mean? Or, or at least to film it over that period well, of time. Well, Witcher
0: Linklater is actually doing that again with Merrily We Roll Along. He's shooting right. that over the course of 20 years, which I mean, I, that I don't understand. Just I mean, it, that's nuts, man. Like, I, I don't even understand. <laughs> I, it's I just get so the, crazy. I get, I get the ambition, but like, Rich, simmer down just a bit. Don't go through this again. You did it once. I, you
1: don't need to do it again. And that's what I mean. Just so courageous, man. I mean, just dedicating the entire craft to just like telling the story that deals with time by having it take place over in real time. You know, it's just a really innovative thing. And I really respect it. And I love the pick. Like I said, it didn't make my list, but it's a great pick to get a start. (laughs) So Boyhood is your number five. My number five is a film that wrecks me literally every time I see it. I've seen it probably 10 to 15 times never ceases to just make the waterworks start flowing. It makes me feel, you know, it's nostalgic. It's beautiful. But it's a film called Dead Poets Society from 1989. It's my number five, directed by Peter Weir. And this is a movie where, you know, Robin Williams really kind of throws his hat in the arena of the dramatic side of things and kind of starts to kind of show us that he can do the dramatic parts as well. I don't think it's his best role, but I think it's the first one where we really kind of took notice. Like, okay, this guy isn't just a you know slapstick stand-up comic; he can do this really touching, uh, heart-wrenching stuff as well. And I mean, there's so many. I mean, you mentioned Ethan Hawke; he shows up here as mm-hmm. you know, obviously much younger, but he shows yep. up in this movie as well. But it's just a, a great movie. It's a period piece, and it's a great movie about the camaraderie between these boys and kind of the awkwardness of those high school years, but also having that awkwardness thrust into this kind of like just such a an elaborate scenario that like as a normal kid going to like a quote unquote normal school, it makes it seem somewhat foreign, even though it's really not. So I love dead poet society. We actually watched it in high school for uh, a literature class that I was in. And I've seen it, like I said, 10 times since then it's a, uh, It's – man, it gets me every time. Are you a fan of this one? It's my number four. Hey, nice. (laughs) Well, we can segue to you talking a little bit about it
0: then. So, yeah. So, why did you pick it, buddy? This film has a really special place for me because, honestly, there was a period in my life where right around the time I saw this movie, I – felt like I wasn't really satisfying anyone with my dreams and ambitions, similar to the character of Neil, who's played fantastically by Robert Sean Leonard in this movie. And um yeah, Robin Williams obviously incredible in the film. He's fantastic and you know, I'm not to spoil anything in case anyone listening hasn't seen the movie, but I mean, if you haven't, you're doing yourself a huge disservice. You have to see it. But um, there's a particular thing that happens in the third act of the movie involving a certain character, and it caught me off guard, and it broke me, and it was yeah. kind of a and it was kind of a wake up call for me as well because it made me realize that I can't let anyone put me down for feeling how I feel about what it is that I'm passionate about and what I love and who I see myself being. And man, I mean, the dialogue is incredible. It won the Oscar for best original screenplay. Uh, I also watched this in high school, not in the class, just like on my own time. Like I had wanted to watch this because I love Robin Williams, Ethan Hawke, of course. And It definitely hit uh big time for me because not even a week after i watched this for the first time is when we lost robin williams so oh wow yeah it's the 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 time it was really insane and everything and um i love it it has one of my all-time favorite endings in a film and it also has some of the Prettiest winter imagery I've ever seen. It like does. the snow, yeah. the snow in this is incredible. Also, the fall weather is gorgeous, looking like the sequence where they're going outside. and They're just carrying Mister Key in when they're running around. That that scene has always stuck with me. It just helps put a smile on my face. Like the movie just feels like a warm hug, but it also sure. really tugs at the heartstrings and it really, really breaks you in ways that you were absolutely not anticipating. And yeah, I. Have recommended this film to so many people. I think, like, if you're a fan of Robin Williams and you know, you hadn't gone around to watching him in his serious roles, this is definitely one that you cannot push aside because obviously he brings some of his Robin Williams comedy to it, but. It's more of a layered performance that we weren't oh, yeah. used to seeing from him, especially at that time. Like, I can't imagine going to the theater to watch this in the late 80s when it came out, and, you know, you're used to seeing him in all these comedies and Morgan Mindy. Then you see him in this, and you're like, whoa, where did this side of Robin exactly, Williams come yeah. from? It's a really beautiful film, another one of my all-time favorite films. And, you know, when you said it's a film that broke you, I was, mm-hmm. I was kind of thinking you were talking about this, and I'm glad I was correct. I'm really happy I was correct.
1: Yeah, you know, this film, yeah, I mean, for everything that you said and, and that I said earlier, I mean, it just continually, it's one of those movies that, like, obviously I know what's going to happen, especially in the last act like you were talking about. But also just like how Neil's seeking his dad's approval throughout, you know, as a through line throughout the whole yeah. movie and just the weight of that mm-hmm. is really what, you know, is his downfall in the end, really. Yeah, And he just never can get that approval. And kind of like what you said too. I really respect what you said there too about you know have wanting to be your own person and making sure that that is a priority in your life, and that you can't let the, the other noise kind of going on around you take away from you know wanting to live out whatever that dream may be. Yeah. And um, you know, Neil wanted to do that, and it, it's a tough thing, man. And 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 the way his character goes out is really sad, and but it's really poignant and just really packs a punch with this movie you know like i said with every watch for me i mean not just the first time i mean literally every time i'm like
0: every time oh god
1: this again you know every (laughs) every
0: time i always dread. i always dread getting into that part like i always dread it and there's a part of me that's like i'm gonna skip this but it's just it's just so riveting like it's just so good like it's the acting the writing the directing everything it's just done so beautifully like it's really impressive how they were able to pull this off
1: I agree, man. So we matched up there. I didn't know if we'd have any crossover tonight, but pretty early on. Here we go. Dead Poets <laughs> Society was my number five. It was your number four. So now my number four is Greta Gerwig's Lady Bird is my number four from 2017. Uh, I actually heard you talk about this recently with a friend of mine, Nicole, when you guys did your Saoirse Ronan mm-hmm. episode. Yep. So uh, I know you probably have thoughts on it as well, but <laughs> I, 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 I mean... I'm a sucker for Greta Gerwig, especially in the last, you know, five to 10 years. I loved her as an actress anyway. And then just her turn as a filmmaker and the different things that, I mean, she does different movies. Like every movie she does is a little bit different. It's, you know, they won't all fit in the same category. She's always being innovative and like kind of showing her, her beautiful filmmaking ability, in my opinion. And with Lady Bird, uh, Lori Metcalf, absolutely just phenomenal as the mother role in this movie. And, you know, Christine Ladybird is trying to grow up. She's trying to kind of like go, like you said, kind of go to college and like kind of rid herself of her mom. But she also doesn't really want to. She still kind of wants to be besties with her mom. So it's kind of a juxtaposed in that way. And it's like an internal battle that she has with herself. Uh, a lot of great things I take away from this movie: the Justin Timberlake jam that drops, Timothy Chalamet. I'm a huge fan of. I love his supporting role in this. So I've, I revisit this one often too. It's it. I don't know if I'd, man, I. Man, I don't know if I want to say this is my favorite Gerwig movie, but maybe at least till Barbie comes out. But I love Lady Bird, man. That's my number four. And uh, I've heard you talk about it, but why don't you give some commentary as well?
0: Yeah, I I love Lady Bird. It's incredible. I mean, there's so many things to be said that that have already been said. But yeah, I mean, (laughs) I remember going into this movie not sure what to expect because I wasn't super high on Greta Gerwig back in 2017 as an actor. I don't know why. I really have no idea why. It was just a weird period of my life. And then I saw Lady Bird and I'm like, all right, let me give Greta Gerwig another chance. So I remember I sat down and I rewatched Francis Ha, Mistress America, all these movies. And I'm like, oh, my God, I really underestimated her. And yeah, Lady Bird is exceptional. It's hysterical. It's heartfelt. There's some heartbreaking moments to it. Sir Ronan is Incredible in it. She is so hysterical. She has great comedic timing, which I did not anticipate seeing from right. her. Lori Metcalf should have won the Oscar for this. And oh, the fact man, that she she's didn't, so good it's just, it's, oh, she's so good. And it's so sickening it that she didn't even win the Oscar. And I also want to shout out Tracy Letts as Mr. Larry McPherson. Great movie, oh, yeah. dad. One of the best out there. He's so, so good. Like yeah. literally when he just introduces himself and he goes, please call me Mr. Larry McPherson. I mean, that's incredible. I <laughs> that's, that's something good. I definitely saw. I, I think my dad did that once to one of the guys my sister dated so long ago. Please call me Mr. Steve Sutfield. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, that's <laughs> but, great stuff, but, man. But no, I, I love Lady Bird. It's so great. It, it's right outside the top the top five for me i've talked about that movie so much in the last couple of weeks yeah no i get it i I find
1: myself doing that a lot on these episodes because i've done over 200 of them as i'll be like that's right i can't i can't put x movie on this list because i've literally had it on 50 (laughs) lists and i'll just like leave it
0: off you know so i
1: I do that all the time but
0: it's just just so good though it's really hard to not put it on a list of anything because it's just There's a reason why people celebrate it and still talk about it to this day. Like, you know, obviously it didn't win Best Picture at the Oscars, but this is one of those films that's talked about more than the film that ended up winning Best Picture that year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Lady Bird for me sitting at my number four, and we're up to you next, buddy, for your number three. What do you got? okay my number
0: three is definitely a very popular coming-of-age film a lot of people when you ask them their favorite coming-of-age films they're gonna talk about this film so my number three is the breakfast club i knew that it would be a crime if i didn't put a john hughes film on this list john hughes is a filmmaker that i have so much respect for i'm so sad that he's no longer with us it really just breaks my heart that he left us way too soon and You know, when I was a teen, I grew up watching all of his movies. I remember binging The Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller's Sixteen Candles. Pretty all these movies that he was attached to. Home Alone, of course, and I think that The Breakfast Club is. His best movie, and it's hard because I'm a huge Ferris Bueller fan as well. So literally, they they go back and forth neck and neck. But Breakfast Club is the one that I've seen the most. It's the one that I've quoted the most. I quote The Breakfast Club nonstop with so many people. And what I love about this movie so much is that, of course, it is absolutely hysterical. It's really funny. All the characters deliver their lines perfectly everyone has their moment to shine comedically and dramatically everyone is great but what i love so much about the breakfast club is that it's able to balance the serious moments really well with the comedic moments the sequence where they're all around in the circle talking about what brought them to detention and talking about stuff outside of school their home lives their personal lives and they talk about how we can't really talk to you guys come Monday when we're all together again because we can't associate with people like you. Right. And moments like that are just so real and earnest because you know that there are groups of high scores like that that sure. can't associate themselves with a different crowd because it's going to ruin their reputation. And, right. you know, it's crazy because you're laughing one minute, then you're crying the next second. And, mm-hmm. All these guys are so great together and separately. They're all delivering fantastic performances. And, I mean, everyone always asks me who my favorite is. It's really hard. But John Nelson as Bender is perfect cast. And he's so phenomenal in this. He's hysterical. He's cocky. He's arrogant. He's a bad boy. But he's also really earnest. And when you realize why he constantly goes to the tension and just – realizes that i don't care if i tell vernon to fuck off or whatever you realize it's because he doesn't want to be home exactly. because of what he has to deal with at home and moments like that like they don't hit you when you're an 11 year old watching the movie but then when you get older and you start understanding things where right. you're like oh man and never you connect put with to it the- yeah you connect with it exactly and it's so so great and i also want to give a shout out to the fact that brian who's played fantastically by anthony michael hall in this movie his character his birthday is march 12th and that's mm. also my birthday so it oh, all nice. works out in the end even though nice. his name is not spelled the correct way but that's a different discussion for that's, fine. Time. that's fine that's yeah, fine no. but yeah i, I mean the breakfast <laughs> club is just it's incredible yeah, it's a, and it's an all-time classic man it's, it's an all-timers. all-time classic there's a reason why a lot of people consider this to be one of the best coming-of-age films of all time and the yeah. deliveries of all these lines are just so great and someone asked me recently what's my favorite line delivery in the movie i mean the easiest one is one of your dope was on fire impossible sir it's in johnson's underwear <laughs> <laughs> oh man it's a classic it's a
1: classic i think john nelson's portrayal is probably my favorite in that movie as well it is layered and it doesn't look like that at the top you know you have no. to kind of dive in a little bit to his character and as you said as you get a little bit older and the more times you watch it on rewatches you kind of start to see different things kind of burrowed into those characters and his specifically um it's a little heartbreaking but it's also kind of kind of like what you said it's, a, it's hilarious at times uh this is a great one i left it off my list because i was kind of crossing my i was thinking you would have it on your list because i feel like Everybody but me probably does. <laughs> uh, I feel like it's the coming of age movie, especially from like the 80s. Yeah. And uh, that high school kind of era. So there you go. I'm glad I'm glad I got some mention tonight. The Breakfast Club for you is your number three. Now, I love The Breakfast Club. Okay. Mm-hmm. But truth truth be told, the reason I left that one and Ferris Bueller that I actually like a lot more off of my list. Okay. It's because I wanted to mention a couple other ones in my top five that I love so much that for whatever reason have just not come up that much on the show. Like they haven't fit in whatever categories or whatever. And I I could go back through my logs. I haven't done that as we're sitting here. But I honestly don't know if I've mentioned this on any top five list I've ever done. And I love this movie so much, but it's from the year 2000. It's Cameron Crowe's Almost Famous is my number
0: three. Go ahead. You're holding your
1: heart. What's oh, up?
0: Oh, man, it's so good. And it's so good. That's a great pick.
1: <laughs> whenever whenever a filmmaker can, like, use the craft of filmmaking and the art form that it is fictionally, but can kind of use his own life as a catapult to tell that story, I feel like it's personal that it just is something really special here. And this is loosely based on Crow's <laughs> own life writing for Rolling Stone magazine, Patrick Fugit plays William Miller and that's the coming of age story. So, you know, young William, I think is like 14 or 15 in the movie when we first meet him. And we kind of follow his story of being thrust into this 1970s, like sex, drugs and rock and roll aesthetic where he's following this rock band around and basically is put in charge of writing their story while they're on tour. And a lot of that's fictional but it's based on different experiences that Crow had with different artists like Elton John and David Bowie and like artists that were really prominent in the mid 1970s when this movie was taking place. And Kate Hudson, I mean, come on, dude, mm-hmm. as Penny in this movie. I mean, mm-hmm. one of the all you're talking about some of the best supporting roles. I mean, one of the all time greatest, I mean, to this Absolutely. day, she's done some amazing shit, dude. I'm just going to tell you to this day this is the performance that I immediately think of when somebody mentions her name. I mean, she absolutely slayed this as the muse kind of like crush slash bad girl, but just like a mist, like her whole character was kind of a mystery was kind of an enigma. She was like abused in a way by Billy Crudup's character and like taken advantage of, but at the same time you got the sense that she was still like taking ownership of her life, even though she probably really wasn't but she always gave that kind of facade where like, you know, I am woman like hear me roar kind of thing. But she was also very vulnerable at the same time. So just a great performance by by her all around. But yeah, I could talk about this movie Tom blue in the face. Francis McDormand's in here. Zoe Deschanel's in here. Uh, the music is fr- I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman is Lester bangs, bro. Like, Oh, so <laughs> oh my good. God. When he get, when he gives the fucking story on the phone and he's like, you know, call me anytime. He's like, I was going to call you. I know he's like, I'm always home. I'm always here. Call me. You know, like he's just like has nothing in his life but music, you know, and we probably feel that way similarly when it comes to like movies. But imagine living in the 70s with that and not having social media and not having podcasts and not having an outlet, really, you know, except for something like Rolling Stone magazine, you know, and and seeing live shows and stuff like that. So. It really kind of captured that too, I felt like. But yeah, I love Almost Famous. I'm sorry to ramble, but that's uh, my number three. What do you think of this movie, man?
0: Oh my God, it's incredible. It's absolutely fantastic. This is a film that I had watched so long ago, and I just didn't click with it at first. And then I was dating someone who had this as their all-time favorite film. So I'm like, I'm going to rewatch it finally. And my God, I mean – it catapulted its way into my favorites of all time. The music is incredible, the performances are incredible. I think that this is still the best thing that Cameron Crowe's ever done, written or directed. Like, this is his magnum opus, and the performance is like Kate Hudson as Payne Lane is spectacular. She's literally such a vibrant piece of magic. She's just so she glows in this role, she's so perfect. And you know, there are moments where you feel so sad for her um one of the most heartbreaking deliveries in any film ever is when she says to him what kind of beer and then she like holds back her tear she's laughing but she's just holding back the pain inside to when she realizes what exactly happened and yeah, the sequence where they're all on the bus and they sing "Tiny Dancer" after just being down and everything. Oh my god! Literally one of the greatest scenes of all time. And that, and that
1: scene, and I agree. And that scene really shows like the power of music bringing people together too. Absolutely. Because they were also they were also separated at that moment. Yeah. Like they all they all hated each other when they got on the bus and they were mad at at Billy Crudup and they were you know mm-hmm. what I mean it was all like get the get the writer off the bus. Yeah. And then that song comes on and they all kind of in harmony, kind of come back together, you know, because of that song. Yeah. I mean, it's one of my favorite scenes, period, uh, from any any film. It's so good. It's so good. I agree. So there you go. Tiny Dancer, Almost Famous is my number three. We're up to our runner ups, buddy. What do you got at your
0: number two, Brian? Okay. Number two. This, to me, is the best coming-of-age film of the past 10 years. This is the film that I never thought in my life that I would see as many times as I have because it's not a happy film at all. It's a downer. It's very raw. It's, it leaves you feeling feelings that you weren't anticipating feeling. Number two for me is Call Me By Your Name. Nice. Nice. I freaking love this movie. Oh, man. My favorite film in 2017. I remember going into this movie expecting to like it, but I didn't expect to walk out of it absolutely for it by what I had seen. I've seen this movie, I can't even tell you how many times. I went to go see this numerous times in theaters. Everyone was questioning me for going to see a downer this many times. And I'm like, listen, I just like good cinema. And this film really left an impact on me. And, you know... To think of this as a great coming-of-age film, that is what it is, but it's also a great film about first love and discovering who you are. And everybody can relate to that, of figuring out their first love and who they are and the struggles that they have of figuring out who they want and who they want to go for and – Timothy Chalamet as Elio is might be one of the best performances I've honestly have ever seen. And I know that's saying a lot, but he really like.
1: Yeah. And especially, like, especially like, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but especially like like early stage of his career. Early stage
0: of it. He was only in his early 20s. I mean, he still is in his 20s, but like, I've never seen that kind of raw emotion from someone his age before on screen. And, I was just so blown away by what he was able to bring. He brought that Timothy Shao May quirk that we love to see in that charm that which is why right. we all love him so much. But when he cries, and I say this a lot about actors, if an actor cries, even without the context, you somehow find a way of crying with them. When yeah. Timothy cries in this movie, every single time it gets me, every yeah. single time. Obviously, the ending is. One of the best endings I have ever seen. That ending, yeah. ha- like it was lingering in my mind for days after I saw the movie, and it still lingers in my mind to this day. But because you be- you be- you
1: believe it too, like you you believe him, you know what I mean? Like you feel like. I'm
0: watching a home movie of this guy. Like, you, you know, you, you feel like you're physically there with him and you've been following his journey for the last two hours and you're feeling that pain come back that clearly had never left him, but now it's like all coming out right. again. And the sequence that really gets to me the most, like in terms of crying, is when his mom picks him up from the train station. Yep. They're driving away. There's no dialogue. He's just crying. His mom puts Breaks her down. hand in her hair and it's just like I'm able to relate to that so well like yeah. i'm able like there was a moment like that that happened in my life and that monologue from michael stubark who by the way should have been nominated for best supporting actor yeah, so good man oh my god like so good top three monologues i think ever <laughs> man yeah i could say so much about this film and uh, It also made me not look at peaches the same way again. So you know. Well, that's for sure. Uh, Well, (laughs) let me
1: let me just say real quick about this movie. What I what I've talked about on my show before when it came up, uh, I think I was doing like my top ten movies of the decade or something like that, and it was it was on my list. And it's been a couple years, but I what one thing I said on that show that I'll reiterate with you, and I just want to see if you kind of agree with me is like if there's if there's people that are detractors from this movie or like they don't get it. What I try to tell them and what really resonated with me so much about that film and that story is like, and again, we're in 2023 now. So social media, uh, texting on cell phones, like blah, 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 blah. Like there's literally any number of things that I could do right now to reach anybody that I wanted to talk to, but not in the 80s, right? So imagine if you are saying goodbye to, for all intents and purposes, the love of your life your soulmate, the person that you are absolutely 100% like, this is my person. I can't imagine being without them. Like, even when I'm away from them for five minutes, I'm freaking out. And like, you're saying goodbye to that person. And you literally know in your heart, you're never going to see him again. Like, goodbye. And that's literally it. (laughs) Like, just try to put yourself in Elio's situation at the train station there and at the last act of that film. And then, of course, we see the waterworks at the end. I mean, that's why, I mean, you know, I can't imagine that because like I said, of the age that we live in, so how that's relayed on screen and the writing and stuff is just phenomenal. I feel
0: like it's phenomenal that Lucas direction. And I mean, the movie would not have worked if Timothy didn't bring what he brought to that performance. And I mean, Mm -hmm. same with the entire cast, like everyone brings their A game. Everyone is incredible and also I just have to shout out before we move to your number 2 the music in this movie is a character of its own the music is sublime so all the songs Stevens, yeah oh he's the be- he's literally become my favorite artist I did a mm-hmm. whole binge of like his entire catalog about 5 months ago and yeah I'm like
1: Man, well, it that just guy, fits. It just fits so well with the aesthetic it, of that it, film too.
0: Oh, it does. It absolutely does. And "Mystery of Love" should have won Best Original Song, but "Remember Me" yeah, was a pretty great song too. So I know. you know, they. I, they, mean, I
1: loved they, all the. They, I loved all the recognition it got that year, but I also so can't I. believe it was so like it just came up so empty-handed. I know. Too, I mean, I'm
0: happy it walked away with the screenplay Oscar, yeah. which I mean that that was theirs to win. Like, there's no way that they could have lost to anything, but Timothy. I really firmly believe that he should have won best actor. And I love Gary Oldman. He's a fantastic actor and he was good in Darkest Hour. But what Timothy brought to that performance was on a whole other level. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Gary Oldman was good
1: in Darkest Hour, but let's be honest. He's been good in literally everything. You could give him oh. an Oscar for literally anything he's ever been.
0: <laughs> I would have given him an Oscar for playing Sirius Black.
1: I mean, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. His uh, – turn into true romance i mean give the guy an oscar for that you
0: know oh please <laughs> but no calling by your name is just it's literally masterful it was my third favorite film of the 2010s and it was my favorite film in 2017 and it's in my top 20 favorite films of all time
1: that's yeah we're similar in that respect because it was in my top 10 of, of the decade last decade as well so i don't remember where it fell but it was like four or five and i absolutely love it so great pick Call Me By Your Name is your runner-up. My runner-up and my number one are kind of similar, although one's a little more feel-good and one's a little more dark. The feel-good one is at number two. It's from 1993.
0: It's The Sandlot. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, there's something about We're talking about coming of age tonight. I don't know what the deal is, but for me, like that 12 to kind of 13, 14 years old, it's just those movies just really hit me differently. They just take me back to a place of nostalgia. And I, I love that coming of age, too, because that is an awkward time in a dude's life. In middle school age, it's just shit is weird. You know what I mean? You don't really know how to kiss a girl. You don't know how. I mean, you don't know how to do anything that you learn later in life. And you're kind of like learning it as you go. You're teaching yourself. You're depending on, you know, your parents or big brothers and sisters or whatever to kind of help you along the way especially in this situation, because it takes place in the 1960s. So I love a good period piece. I love a film that takes place in that kind of like, quote, unquote, feel good era of America. And these young boys are just having the time of their lives in the summer, playing baseball together and just being outside, just being boys, just being friends. And then, you know, we we get that flash forward to them as adults and we find out that the two of the main characters are still very, very good friends. And one of them's actually playing Major League Baseball. And just to have the camaraderie that they had over the course of their life to get there was really special, too. So there's like uh, there's a lot of really good like messages to take away from the Sandlot, too. But I love watching this movie with my kids, which is always really special to me, too, that they can enjoy something that I enjoyed when I was younger. And that'll come up with my number one also. But, yeah, the Sandlot from 93 would be my runner up. What do you think of this one, Brian?
0: So I've only seen this once. I haven't actually seen this since I was like 10, 11 years old. I enjoyed it as a kid. I cannot tell you how I would feel about now as a 25-year-old. My opinion would probably change, but – Sure, yeah. It's funny because – when I was a kid, this wasn't the baseball film that I would watch a lot that were that was from the nineties. I'm a big fan of Angels in the Outfield with Justin Gordon Levin. I played that on loop so much when I was a kid and um I rewatched that like at the height of COVID when We were all locked inside and we didn't have anything to do. So I stumbled across it and I rewatched it and I'm like, man, it hits me in the feels. And I do – now that you brought up the salon, now I have to rewatch it because I mean there's a reason why people still talk about it as one of the quintessential coming-of-age films, especially from the 90s. Like it's a timeless film. It's a classic. It's entertaining, smalls, all that stuff. It's great. It's great. Yeah. And I definitely am due for rewatching rewatch. And now that you brought it up, now I got to rewatch it like, Yeah, I want to see what you think on the
1: rewatch. Yeah. Yeah, I want to see what you think on the rewatch. I've seen it way too many times. And my son, <laughs> same thing with my number one, my nine-year-old now, I think I showed it to him initially when he was, like, seven. And we've seen it probably three or four times since in the last two years just because he likes it so much, too. Right. And that's always special to me, you know, that, like, oh, okay, cool. He likes something that I liked when I was younger, you know, that's yeah. cool. So it's kind of coming of age in that way, too. But, yeah, I love The Sandlot. My number one, obviously, I like a little bit more, but they're kind of in the same wheelhouse. But let's see what you got, man. You're up first for your number one coming of age
0: film. What do you got, Brian? Okay, so like I said at the top, my number one is not your conventional coming of age film. When you think deep about it, you start to realize, okay, this kind of is a coming-of-age film. Even though we're not seeing many years of this guy, we're not seeing like 20 years of this guy growing up, we're following through a couple years of his life. He's figuring out his place in the world. He's figuring out what he wants to do, how he can escape the trauma that he's been dealing with in his personal life. And what he does, you don't necessarily condone him, but you're so riveted by the journey that you're so engrossed by following him doing what he loves to do, and that is con people. So my number one coming of age film of all time is Catch Me If You Can. Now, oh, that's fine. Sure. Like a lot of people only think of this just as a crime dramedy, which it is. That's what it is. It's a coming. It's a dramedy with that's based on a true story of Frank Abagnale Jr. Conning people and doing all these scenes, and then ancient Carl Hanratty, played by Tom Hanks, is chasing him. Uh, this is my all-time favorite film. About two years ago, I finally realized that this was the film that I loved more than any other film in the world. Now, wow. it's it's so crazy that this film does not get the recognition. It, quite frankly, deserves, because directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks, that's literally a tri- a great trio right there. And the right fact there. that this film does not get the recognition it deserves is really baffling to me. But we see the character of Frank come of age. You know, he's 16 at the start of the film. He has a very good relationship with his family, especially his father, played fantastically by Christopher Walken. So good, man. And his parents split up, and Frank has no idea what to do. He has no idea what he can do to process all this information. Of course, I mean, I cannot imagine being in his shoes. But he decides to run away from home and he starts taking a liking to conning people, something that his dad did a lot. And, you know, we see an identity crisis of sorts throughout the movie because Frank is going from multiple identities – uh, Frank Taylor, Frank Black, Frank Connors, he's doing all these different personas, doing all these different jobs, a pilot, a doctor, a lawyer, saying that he's from here, saying he went to this school, pretending he's this age and that age, and the movie just finds a way of engrossing me each and every viewing to where I love following this character, even though what he's doing is not okay. But for some reason, it's really entertaining to watch because of how oh, Spielberg sure. presents this movie. This is a cow and mouse movie. Spielberg had never done anything like this before. You had seen him do his historical dramas, his sci-fi films, his big budget blockbusters, but he did this smaller contained film that made you laugh. A lot, actually, but it also made you cry because you're following this character who, while he loves conning people, there are essences throughout this movie to where he tries to stop. He constantly is like, tell me to stop, tell me to stop. He even says to Carl Hanratty, who he calls a lot, "Uh, tell me to stop, stop chasing me. And Carl simply is just like, I cannot stop, it's my job. So even though you don't want Frank to get caught, you know that Frank has to be caught so that he can't stop doing this. And Carl essentially becomes a bit of a father figure to Frank. Mm -hmm. There is a sequence towards the end of the movie where Carl's like, you're just a kid. You shouldn't be doing this. And Frank snaps at him and says, yeah, but I'm not your kid. Right. And it's moments like that where you realize, man, like Frank Abagnale Jr. has been through a lot. And, he obviously appreciates the help that Carl has given to him but he's still like tr- pushing him away because he's like this is what I'm meant to do. I'm meant to be conning people and doing all these things and just this is what I'm meant to do. And my god, I could talk about this film for hours. It's my favorite film of all time. I love it. It's it's it's, incre- it's incredible. It's incredible and it was in my top 5 Spielberg. I mean, it, that, I I agree with
1: you that he doesn't get enough taste- credit for it
0: taste right there that's taste right there i yeah, mean man yeah. this this is just a gem of a film and you know i don't i really don't get why it doesn't get the recognition it deserves because it's spielberg and spielberg's obviously one of the most respected filmmakers ever and everyone talks about the jurassic parks and you know fiddly enough you have a jaws poster right behind you and mm-hmm, et and everything but like Catch Me If You Can deserves way more recognition than it gets. I it's agree. it's a very well-received film. It has a good following to it, but not many people talk about it as much as they should. I mean, man, it gets to me every time. It makes me laugh. It makes me cry. When the Christmas song by Nat King Cole plays, I literally sob uncontrollably. Yeah. And every time I think of that beautiful song, I start thinking of this, and then I start sobbing. I could literally be driving in my car just listening to Christmas tunes, and then this plays, and then I start crying all of a sudden. Okay, right, 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 right. <laughs> man, I,
1: it's so good. You were like saying how it's not a conventional coming-of-age movie. I put this on my tangential Christmas movies list because I love how Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio talk every Christmas Eve.
0: Every Christmas Eve,
1: yeah. While he's on the run, and it gives you the impression that now that he's a con man on the run, they're kind of the only thing that each other have. And there's a bit of loneliness to that, you know, that kind of through line throughout the movie, at least once his parents split up and he kind of starts going on his own, if you will. But I love the different – I mean, it is a fun movie. It's a cat and mouse chase fun movie at the end of the day. Yeah. But it, it does take on a deeper meaning too, and it's it's one of my favorites too. I love this movie. I love the opening credits in this movie.
0: Oh, my God. It's incredible. So good,
1: man, with the great can animation. Also, can,
0: can we also talk about how incredible Tom Hanks' fake Boston accent is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, yeah. it's so it's good. It's definitely memorable. I love oh. the
1: scene too when he has him in the hotel. He has him. Oh. And Leo Leo cons him, you know, and gets out of the situation in the hotel room. Like, it's so and good, the entire,
0: man. And the entire time you're watching, you're like, this fucking guy is a genius. He's so yeah. good at what he does. He's going to get
1: away with this, yeah, absolutely. All right, man. So catch me if you can. Your number one, great pick, buddy. My number one is not going to surprise any regular listeners of the show. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's in my top five, five films of all time across any genre, and it's from 1986. Stand By Me absolutely love this movie to death. It's been on, this is probably the 10th episode. I've mentioned it on a top five list, but I just couldn't not do it, man. It's one of my absolute all-time favorites. I often credit this movie with really turning me into a movie lover because I was the age of the boys in this movie when I saw it for the first time. And it's a rated R film because of the uh, language in the movie. and. We weren't supposed to watch it me and my buddy Michael and his his parents like owned it on VHS tape back then. I was like 12 or 13 years old and we watched it at his house at a sleepover over and over and over again. We watched it like five or six times that night. And then the next day we were like reenacting scenes from it in his backyard and stuff and it's just something about the magic, quote unquote, magic of movies and this was the introduction to that to said magic for me. Stand by me. And it was the first film where it was like, I've got to, this has to be a part of my life. You know what I mean? Like this film has to be a part of me. And it still is like 30 years later, 35 years later. It's crazy. And I, you know, this is another one that I recently showed my son and he absolutely loved it, which is crazy to think that it's also a coming of age film that like transcends literal generations. Like this movie came out in the eighties and people loved it. I love it today and I'm going to be 48 years old this year. and My son's nine and he loves it. I assume when my baby grows up and I show it to him, he'll love it. So there's just certain movies that like never get old, even though they continue to age. And I feel like Stand By Me is easily one of those. And it's uh, just like The Sandlot. It's that 12 to 13 year range, but it is coming of age, you know, because they're kind of transforming from like child, if you will, to kind of like, I have to do stuff on my own now. You know, I have to learn how to do my own laundry and I have to learn how to make my own lunch. And like, you know, my mom's not going to be there to, you know, do everything for me for the rest of my life. And you kind of start to realize that around this age, I feel like Uh, some of us might still try to get our mom to do all that stuff, but that's not always going to happen. So for me, it's stand by me. It's my number one, uh, regular listeners. I apologize, Brian.
0: Uh, what do you think, man? Are you a fan of this one? Oh, I love Stand By Me so much. It's fantastic. Uh, I, You know, four of the best child performances that I've ever seen are from this movie. Yep. Uh, all four of them together yep. are incredible. And it's so crazy, too, that every time I watch this, I always forget that this is a Stephen King adaptation. Mm-hmm. Every single time I watch it. And... There's so many sequences that make me cry and make me laugh. That train sequence, when I first saw this movie, that train so sequence good, literally gave me goosebumps and it kept me up at night. I was so like, good, man. it's so good. It's so And incredible. the comedy in
1: this movie is just to die for, dude. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> little Jerry O'Connell is the fat kid or whatever and like –
0: he's got the comb you know and he's like what I, got? I brought the comb I got to think of everything like. literally every time I see him in something I forget that he's the fat kid from Stand oh, by man. Me. Yeah. When I when I watched Screen Two recently and I'm like oh Jerry O'Connor and I'm, uh, Jerry O'Connell I'm like oh my god that's the fat kid from Stand by Me. Yeah yeah exactly. I forget yeah. it every single time. It's so so good. Oh man, I love Stand by Me. I one of my favorite deliveries in the movie, actually maybe my favorite. Is I don't remember who says it. I don't remember if it's Corey Feldman or River Phoenix. Why don't you go home and fuck your mother?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's uh, why don't you go home and fuck your mother some more. That's um,
0: that's River Phoenix. Yeah, he, he says it to Kiefer Sutherland, yeah. I think. And let me ask you this: Do you get chills every single time you watch this movie? And at the end, he fades away, especially knowing that River Phoenix is no longer with us. Yep, yep, yep. It, it really, it really, it brings on a whole new meaning. It honestly. does. It, does. it really does.
1: It's a tough thing. And, you know, one of the best child actors for sure. And Absolutely. Just gone, gone way too soon, man. I mean, way too soon. That guy was, I mean, you see what his brother's done. I mean, that guy oh, yeah. was not, not to take anything away from Joaquin, but I mean, River was on his way to like Brad Pitt status. You he know, I mean, He could have done literally anything. He was. So uh, Stand By Me is my number one. Like I said, nobody's really surprised, but I had to put it on there. It is definitely my favorite coming of age film. All right, Brian, we're going to take a quick promo break, and when we come back, we will wrap up our top fives and let everybody know what honorable mentions didn't quite crack the top five. Everybody sit tight. We will be right back. Hello, listeners. Did you know that there is a lot more content where this episode came from? As you may know, we are an independent podcast and we rely on donations in order to keep going. Over on our Patreon site, you will find several ways to stretch your dollar. I am currently producing six exclusive series that you can only get there. They include popular ones such as My First Time and 100 G-Tunes. You'll also get regular main top five episodes just like this one, super early, often weeks in advance. For as little as $1, you can help the show continue. Just visit us over at patreon.com two peas on a pod, or you can check the show notes for this very episode. Now let's get back to the countdown. Welcome back guys. As I said, pre-break Brian is here with us from film fragments. And that was a great discussion. We just talked about our top five coming of age films. And we did have the one crossover with dead poet society, but otherwise We did pretty good. Nice rounded list there. Nice uh, films for people to seek out if they have not seen them yet. Brian, why don't you just remind everybody, what was your top five again, buddy? Just run through them real quick. Absolutely.
0: Uh, At number five, I had Boyhood. Number four, Dead Poet Society. Number three, The Breakfast Club. Number two, Calling By Your Name. And number one, Catch Me If You Can.
1: Great list, man. My number five was Dead Poet Society. My number four was Lady Bird. Number three was Almost Famous. My number two was The Sandlot, and my number one was Stand By Me, which will be on any list it's ever eligible for. (laughs) That's everybody's quickly learning. All right, man, I've got five honorable mentions here. They're kind of all over the place, uh, but let's see what you got. So do you have some honorables that didn't quite crack your top five,
0: buddy? Yes, I do. Other than the ones that you put on your list, some of the ones that I have to give a shout-out to are Fast Times at Richmond High, one of the best – 80s teen comedies ever yeah. i am not a big sean penn fan at all i know that's a, a hot take but his but his work as jess piccoli is literal so perfection good. it's incredible so he is perfect and then uh one coming of age film that has scarred me since i saw it back at 2007 when i was nine years old bridge of Terabithia." oh, oh my okay. god literally when you if you Imagine you're a child and you see a trailer for Bridget Terabithia and you're like, wow, this looks like a Chronicles of Narnia type of movie. It looks fun and fantastical and everything. And then you realize, oh, it's actually a really deep movie movie that makes you bawl and want to cry your eyes out nonstop. Sure, yeah. But man, I mean, <laughs> for it being a Disney film and being way more mature than Disney anything Disney had ever put out at that point blown away and as an adult i still love the movie to this day i rewatched watched it at the height of covid and my god i mean josh yeah. hudgerson and anna sophia rob two of the finest child performances i've ever seen her in that film and it's so beautiful it's really insane how disney you know they marketed the film to be one completely different thing and then it turned out to be something else and my god it broke me so yeah. much as a kid and still breaks me as an adult. Uh <laughs> uh other honorable mentions that I have to give a shout out to are this is tough because there's so many great coming of age films. Booksmart from 2019, good one. uh one of the best teen comedies of the past couple of years. You know, Seth Rogen recently said something about how there hasn't been a good high school teen comedy since Superbad and I love Superbad, don't get me wrong, but buddy yeah book smart yeah we've had was sublime. we've had so many (laughs) and book smart is one of the best it's become one of the better coming of age films that i've seen in so long yeah i love it the last picture show from 1971 Mm -hmm. uh a one that i recently watched for the first time and was absolutely blown away by it pierre Bondogovich. what a voice truly so revolutionary and it's very vintage. It came out in the 70s, but it feels like it was a film from the 50s. Right. And it's one that I recommend everyone check out if you haven't seen it because yeah, it no, really great. is top tier. And then the last album I mentioned, and man, I mean, again, come tomorrow, you could ask me, then I could be like, oh, my I know, God, I can't believe tough. I forgot about this. But I'm going to choose another very recent film, Love, Simon from 2018. Oh, okay, It's going. I thought this was so endearing and so wholesome, and it made me ball when I saw it in theaters. And Nick Robinson, I don't think he's ever been better. I usually am not super fond of him, so I was really surprised when I walked out this movie saying Nick Robinson delivered a terrific performance. And, you know, one of the better high school teen movies of the past 10 years, it's really incredible stuff. Again, there's so many films to choose from in this genre. This genre is massive. And you could list off some opera mentions I like, I can't believe I forgot to mention that. It's it, it's just impressive.
1: What I was going to say might be really cool is that you didn't mention any of mine's, which is kind of crazy. So my number six, I've got a couple. Now you had Tom Hanks in your top five. I've got a couple Tom Hanks here in my honorable mentions. My number six is that thing you do. Hmm. Very good pick such a feel-good movie like I just I have such a good time with that movie it's a really feel-good film and you know similar to like Almost Famous where these kids are just thrust into superstardom and how they deal with it and how they adjust and Tom Hanks kind of taking on this father figure kind of role but he's also the, the business side of things and it's just, I love that movie. Like that's that's one that also has a super high rewatchability factor for me too. I, I could watch it literally every week for the rest of my life, and I would love it. My number seven is Big with Tom Hanks from oh the eighties. Oh my 80s. god, how did I forget Big? <laughs> I mean, come oh. on, dude. I mean, you know, literally like coming of age, like, hey, I'm an adult overnight. What do I do? You know, and just kind of coping with all that and having to deal with all that stuff a lot sooner than we really should have. And Tom Hanks is just so charming in that film. Oscar nominated, too. That's right. Yeah. My number eight is a raunchy comedy, but it's one that just hit me at the right point in my life. And it's American Pie. Yep. Great movie. (laughs) Love it so much. (laughs) I love it, dude. Number nine is not that. It's completely different, but it's Moonlight, the Oscar winner from 2016. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. would also be one of my favorite coming of age films. And then my number 10, I talked to you a little bit about this middle school era And you kind of seen that show up throughout my list. So my number 10 would also be an A24 film called 8th Grade. Love 8th Grade. Love 8th Grade. Great pick. So that would round out my top 10. So there's my favorite coming-of-age films. Brian, I really appreciate it, man. Well, How we end every episode, brothers, we head over to the old suggestion box and we see what the fans had to say. I just said, what are some of your favorite coming-of-age movies? Let's run through them here, buddy. Steve Kite says, Stand By Me. Mm-hmm. Jared Taylor, patron and friend of the show, says The Breakfast Club. There you go. Joey Mills also says, Stand By Me. But then he says, The Lost Boys. What do you think about that one?
0: Oh, that's a fan a, of The Lost Boys? Oh, huge fan. That's a great, great movie. That's a really solid pick. Very unconventional coming-of-age film, too. Yeah, but that's a
1: good one. Uh, Chris Yanni, patron and friend of the show, he says... Uh, well he says that I've always championed the greatest stand by me. So as I said, my regulars know what I, that I was going to mention that one. <laughs> but then he said he's also a huge fan of my girl. Ooh. A fan. Oh That's a good one.
0: what a downer. What a downer. It traumatize, really is. It hits you, doesn't it? It traumatized me as a kid.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh Joey Austin says a movie called Lucas. I've
0: there never I've I've never seen that. That's Corey Haim and Charlie Sheen. That is. I haven't yeah, seen, it either, seen that. Yeah, I've never seen
1: that. Uh, patron and friend of mine Julio is trying to be funny and he says, uh, that he's gonna guess I have Jaws and Halloween on my list. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I mean, didn't. Halloween could kind of be a coming of age film in some sense, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jaw, I mean, Halloween to
1: you know, with uh, Laurie Strode coming yeah. of age, you know, sure. Uh, but I didn't, Julio, so the joke's on you, buddy. <laughs> um, let's see, top tier patron of the show, Dan Roski, says, Billy Elliott. Juno, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and ooh. Love Simon.
0: Ooh, ooh, ooh! All good. All good. All good. All yeah, good. Really good. Lo- love to
1: mention a Billy Elliot, very underrated film. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to come back to David Powell because he always gives me like 40 suggestions. Let's see. My friend Lauren says the Lizzie McGuire movie.
0: <laughs> oh, 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 okay, <laughs> which I absolutely oh, oh, love. That oh, shout oh, oh, out. Okay, okay, that's a great movie. 20 years old this year, which is absolutely insane. Oh, when man. you have a sister, she watched that movie religiously. My sister is two years older than me. She, oh my god, the Lizzie McGuire movie was on loop in this house when yeah. we were younger. And you know, my sister is getting married very soon, and she went to a wedding for one of her friends where they played "This Is What Dreams Are Made Of." The DJ was playing it on the dance floor, and my sister hopes that that could happen at her wedding. And I told her you gotta make that happen because that would be a great way to cap off a wedding night. <laughs> I love that pick. What? what what's I mean, her name? It. Who? What's her name? Who suggested that?
1: Lauren Scott. She's actually works at Disney World. So w- it makes sense. Lauren, She's a friend of mine.
0: Great taste right there. That is a fantastic pick. That might be the best one I've heard all night. I agree. I agree. That was a
1: great left field pick for sure. Uh, Tony Dobbage says Lady Bird, super bad, eighth grade, book smart, edge of 17. And Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl.
0: Okay. Love Edge of Seventeen. That's a fantastic film. Super underrated. I do like Me and Earl and the Dying Girl as well. But yep. Edge of Seventeen definitely deserves way more recognition than it gets. Yeah. I agree. Is that the uh, is that the one with um
1: Haley Steinfeld? Yeah, Haley Steinfeld. Yeah, thank you so much. Yep. I was trying to remember her name. Uh, Jenny Markle. Now, I'm kind of disappointed in myself because I see one of her suggestions that I can't believe I didn't put on my list, From at least from a high school perspective. But she's got Heathers on her list, and I agree. That is easily one of my favorite coming-of-age films. Ugh. And She also has The Dangerous Lives of Alter Boys, 16 Candles, Better Off Dead, and My Girl. So there you go. Lots of 80s and 90s films. Lots of 80s stuff in there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Paul from The Countdown says, Ferris Bueller's Day Off mm-hmm. and The Breakfast Club. Yep. Uh, patron of the show, Brett, says, My Girl, Stand By Me and It, Chapter One. He's Ooh. not wrong. That is a coming-of-age film. Yeah. A lot of My Girl mentions. I know. it's just That film just crushes me. But so does Dead Poets Society. So I guess that's not really a... Uh, excuse that's true let's see Amanda Inman says Lady Bird eighth grade the edge of 17 Brooklyn and Sing Street
0: oh my god Sing Street was literally my favorite movie of 2016 that's a fantastic pick that's a fantastic and Brooklyn is so good too I just watched that for the first time recently and loved it so much
1: yeah those are all great picks Uh, Kayla patron and friend of mine says Moonlight
0: the Sandlot and Mid 90s Were you a fan of Jonah Hill's mid 90s? That's a good one. Oh, oh, I love mid 90s. Great, great directorial debut from Jonah Hill. Love that movie so much. Without a doubt. Now, I'm not going to list all these because David Powell does this every week, but I'm going to
1: go through and I'm going to, I'm going (laughs) to, I love this dude. He's a patron of mine. I love him. I'm going to mention the ones that we haven't brought up tonight at one point or another. So David Powell says, uh, beautiful girls, pretty in pink, mermaids, the outsiders, (laughs) dazed and confused. Oh, what else have we not mentioned? Mean Girls. We didn't mention mm-hmm. Mean Girls tonight. That's crazy. Clueless, we didn't mention. Okay. Badlands and Perks of Being a Wallflower.
0: Oh, my God. Perks of Being there a Wallflower. Go. Oh, that's, yeah, that's that, some good. picks, guys. That's so good. Badlands is really good,
1: Joe. Yeah, thank you, everybody, so much for the feedback this week. It's such a broad category, as Brian said. And Brian, first-time guest, you brought the heat with the topic, man. I really appreciate it. It was a fun episode and a fun discussion. Brian from Film Fragments, hopefully you'll be back sooner than later, man. But just remind everybody where they can look you up online and and find you over
0: there and follow you, buddy. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that I got to come on here today to talk about my favorite genre of all time with you. Really, really fun discussion. Seriously, just what a great way to cap off the night. So everybody listening, you guys can follow me on Twitter, Twitter instagram youtube and letterbox at brian Suffield, and you guys can subscribe to my podcast film fragments on any podcast platform of your choice
1: brian once again man it means a lot to me you came on and like i said come back anytime brother it was a lot of fun thanks so much for being here thank you so much for having me all right guys thanks for tuning in i will be back next week with another guest until then everybody take care